And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and we're going to continue our conversation today on the missionary task. Phase three of the missionary task is discipleship, and we really want to explore and examine what that looks like cross-culturally around the world. What are some of the first things that we do with a new believer? Our guest today is Brian Harrell. Brian is a missionary with the IMB in Mozambique, Africa. He and his family have been serving on the field since 2004, so nearly 20 years. Just really, really excited to have this conversation with Brian today. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Dr. Aiken, thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. It's a great topic. Yeah. Why don't you just start maybe by telling us some about you and your family? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I was actually born and raised in South Africa as a missionary kid. I, I lived there until I was 16. And then went back to the U.S. to, you know, finish my schooling after, you know, my parents came back from the field, married this great girl, Becky. We met at Liberty University, and both of us felt called to missions before we even started dating, really. That's our family. We are living in, in Mozambique. We came to Mozambique with our eldest son. He was one year old. This year, he turns 20, and he's a sophomore at Liberty University. And then our second son, Dylan, is 17. Kate is 15. They're both in Rift Valley Academy, which is in Kenya. And then our youngest is Micah, and he lives with us in Mozambique, homeschooling with us for right now. Yeah, that's a little bit about our family. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you mentioned you and Becky met at Liberty and just kind of with a passion, desire to move overseas. So can you share a little bit more about kind of how you guys got to Africa? Well, I mean, not to be coy or anything, but we got to Africa on an airplane. And I say that because my grandparents, you know, they got to Africa on a boat. They were actually sunk by Germans during the Second World War. So anytime we're on those long plane flights to get to Africa, you're not going to hear any complaining from us. You know, missionaries always talk about how difficult it is. I think we should be thankful when we look back and it's all relative to the struggles that people had before us. But yeah, I was at Liberty and I think it was just at Liberty that I felt I'd come back from South Africa. And to be honest, it was culture shock for me coming back to the United States. But by the time I was at Liberty, I was comfortable being in America. But every time I'd hear a mission speaker, and as I just looked at my giftedness, it was just clear that God was calling me to the mission field and to do anything else would be disobedient to him. And so I decided I was going to date a girl until she was called to the mission field. It was around that time that Becky went on a missions trip to India through Liberty University came back and changed her major from health and physical education to nursing because she felt like she could use that on the mission field. And she surrendered her life to follow God as a missionary. And so we started our relationship. I finished an undergrad and a master's degree at Liberty that went to Columbia International University and finished a second master's there, worked on staff at a church. That's when we were looking, where do we need to go on the mission field? And we both felt that we wanted to go to a place where there weren't missionaries, where there wasn't a witness. 
I mean, you just have so many opportunities with the IOB. We prayed over hundreds of job requests and then found this place in northern Mozambique with this people group that at that point were unreached and unengaged, really, by other organizations. And we felt like that just fits us and we could sink our life into that. So, yeah, that's what we signed up for and came to the field doing pioneer church planting alongside some very small Baptist churches that at the time were still singing songs to Mary. And we're trying to reach this cousin people group. So, I mean, we just had, it was this, it was quite a funny mix, right? To take these Catholic background believers from a different people group and then help them cross that bridge to reach out to the Makua Nahara, which is our target people group. And then since then, we've kind of grown as team leaders and then associate cluster leaders for Mozambique. And now we serve as cluster leaders for Central Africa cluster. But that's a little bit of our story. Yeah. Yeah, that is encouraging. You know, the, the focus of this season is on the missionary task. What is it that missionaries do? How do they spend their time? What are the objectives, the targets that they're shooting for? And so we've talked about every missionary has to figure out how to enter into a context. And there's visa ramifications, there's language and culture, and, and those things are significant. Mm-hmm. And then Obviously, you go to the field because you have a message that you want to share. And so that's evangelism. But we know really the heart in many ways of the Great Commission is that's discipleship. Right. You know, we, we think about Matthew 28 and it's teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. So I want to ask you, as we think about discipleship, what is a disciple? Well, I honestly think in the simplest terms that a disciple is a Christ follower and is committed to living a Christ-like life. You know, it's not just agreeing to the gospel message, but is walking in surrender to Christ. And so that's, I think, how I would classify a disciple as one who is desiring to be Christ-like in every aspect of their life. So you've been on the field for a while. You've seen people come to faith. You know, one of the common questions I have with people is, I never know where to start with discipleship. Where do you begin? And so one of the things I would ask you is, where do you start with a new believer, somebody who puts their faith and trust in Christ, they repent of their sins, and they're now a follower of Jesus? What do you do that first day, maybe that first week? How do you begin the discipleship process with a new believer? I think you really need to know your context well. So I'll talk to you about like our context where we are, but it's very important that a new disciple know who they are in Christ before you start asking questions about what should I do as a Christian. So we work with Catholic background believers and we work most of the the people around us are actually cousins, right? And so when they step in, to a relationship with Christ, you can't think that they come in from a vacuum. They've heard things before. And so they're going to overlay their understanding of religion onto the gospel message. Okay. So that looks like, all right, so I agree that this is who Christ is, and I'm going to trust him for my salvation. Now, what must I do to keep my salvation? What are the works that are going to help me to remain saved? Okay so that I don't lose my salvation, or it just very quickly turns into this works-based salvation, right? And so if you jump into the what do you do about discipleship too quickly, you're just going to fill that void. So in other words, what you're saying is, I need to do these things in order to be a Christian. Well, you are an adopted son of God based upon your faith in Christ. And it's very important that initially you start with that right DNA to where they know that they have an assurance of their salvation, and they know their position in Christ, who I am. And then what they do flows out of that. Rather than, I have to do these things so that I can be, you already are, therefore, this is what you do because of your relationship with Christ. So our first lessons in discipleship are really focused upon that, your assurance of your salvation and who you are in Christ. 
And then our discipleship process that we follow is really out of John 15. So we're talking about abiding in the vine, and it's talking about it works in our agrarian culture very well. And those branches produce that fruit. That fruit happens because they're connected to the vine. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, people are always concerned, you know, what do I need to do? What we're trying to teach them is how do you abide in Christ? Who are you? And then what you do kind of flows out of that. But I would just say, don't rush over the who are you in Christ to the what do I do? Because you'll have the same lesson, but what they're hearing is this is how I earn my salvation because of their previous understanding. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like the way you, you stated that in terms of understanding first who you are before you have to think about what you do. I like that sense of identity as being key to the discipleship process. That's some thinking along the lines of maybe short-term discipleship. How would you distinguish, yeah, short-term discipleship, maybe with longer-term discipleship as we get down to six months down the road, maybe a year down the road? Can you distinguish about what that might look like at that point? Sure. Well, I would also say this, that as you're explaining salvation, something that has been really important for us on the mission field is don't just explain it and have them say, yes, I understand. Have them repeat it back to you. They will say they understand, but oftentimes they don't really understand. But once you get that DNA set at the beginning, boy, then they can identify it so easily in their neighbors that are misunderstanding or whatever. And then you have a great national partner that's with you. So yeah, like you were saying, short-term discipleship. I mean, we teach them all about praying and fasting and spend time in God's word, loving your neighbor, being on mission for Christ, and then expecting persecution. All of that comes out of John 15. It's just, it's fantastic how it kind of all lays out. But in long-term discipleship, the real work of discipleship is living life alongside of them. Discipleship is a thousand decisions that you're making for Christ. So it affects how you relate to your family. It affects your business relationships. It affects your marriage relationships, or if you even are married. So that's kind of what we're working through in long-term discipleship. But to be honest, what we use is we use a short-term discipleship from John 15, and then we honestly go through an overview of the Bible so that people get the basic stories of the Bible so they can understand the narrative. So everything else that you're, they understand the narrative, they're getting their basic theology set up according to the scriptures. But then in that process, when you're meeting with people, there's going to be a thousand things that come up about their life and context that you need to be addressing as well. It makes a lot of sense. And I know each context is unique and different. And there are different ways that things are practiced around the world in different places. But one question I would ask you and maybe kind of how you address this or help your people think about this, because depending on the context, who can disciple another person? Who's equipped? Who's able? And in some contexts, it's like, hey, only the pastor can do that kind of work. So how do you all help people think through that in your context? Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, you're talking about Africa, so we naturally have this hierarchy. And so there's these are your trained people that are able to do this. And that's a big paradigm shift for us, Dr. Aiken, that you're getting into right there. And it really is. Yeah, who can disciple? Anybody who is a follower of Christ, who is a disciple of Christ. You can't pass on what you don't have. There are a lot of people that might sign the role and say, I'm a Christian because I agree to these beliefs, but they're not living it at all. They're not really a disciple. But I would say anybody who's a follower of Christ, they can pass that on to another person. And we work tirelessly to try and help people to understand that, particularly women in our context. And once they get it, boy, they're fantastic disciples. They do so well. And in our context, that's usually important because it's not really appropriate for a man to be discipling a woman 
maybe in a large group context, but in the nitty gritty of the day-to-day life that has to be woman to women. And so it's really important that you break that down and you're never really going to grow your church. It's never really going to be healthy. So one of the things that we look for in the health of our churches is streams of discipleship within that church. So we want to see three or four generations of disciples in that church. Then we know we have a healthy church because we know that there are people in that church that are discipling others. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu bgs. You know, one of the things you said earlier that I really appreciated was kind of discipleship is really kind of a thousand decisions that we make on a daily basis. Can you talk some about the distinction between discipleship kind of in relationship and in everyday life versus discipleship as a program and kind of set point in time? You know, that's something that I think because of the way that our culture is arranged in the West, we tend to think of discipleship as a program because people are thinking through their days in kind of hour increments. And so, hey, I I did discipleship today from eight to nine. Can you talk through what that looks like in your context there in Mozambique? Yeah, I would say it's a both and. And you need the program because you need purpose to where you're going in discipleship. You don't want to just be endlessly meeting with people and having a great relationship. There's a mission that we're on together. And so having a program helps you to to keep moving forward. At the same time, the way that we approach discipleship when we are with people, yes, there is a lesson that we're trying to cover. But before that lesson, there are questions about what's happened during that week, right, in the life of that person. And you have to dive into those things. One of the greatest, oh, it just drives you to the scripture as a missionary, is they bring questions and concerns to you that you have never heard before, like in the U.S., because their culture is just so different. And so it drives you to the scriptures together. And then the skill is really not giving them the answer, but showing them where to find it in the scriptures, asking them the right questions to where they arrive at the answer for themselves. And then you help them apply that into their lives, whether it's jealousy, whether it's witchcraft, whether it's, uh, like I said, marriage. We have a lot of people that, that live together but aren't really married all kinds of things like that. So yes, I would say it's a both and discipleship is living in the trenches alongside a new believer and walking alongside them as they make those decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the goals people talk about is disciples that make disciples. And so can you talk about the importance of trying to communicate, instill that kind of DNA early on in the process? What does it look like for us to focus on disciples who make disciples? Boy, that's a great question. I think this is something that you have to model in your own life. You have to be seen as a disciple maker. And then at the same time, you have to limit, as a Westerner, you're going to have to limit the resources that you use 
and how you teach so that it is actually reproducible and can be reproducing in the life of that new believer. It has to be attainable to them. So if you have these really complex lessons and trying to arrive at these aha moments and all this kind of stuff by your great teaching, it's going to be a great show, but it's not going to be reproducible. So you have to think about how you're communicating that content. And then really for this to become disciples making disciples, if there isn't accountability in the discipleship process, if you really aren't asking them, if there's no accountability, it's just not going to happen. They're going to be happy to come to you and continue to receive until you ask them to look outwards and hold them accountable to that. And you're modeling that for them. I see a lot of missionaries get their cadre of the five, 10 guys that they really enjoy being with, right? And they never progress past them. You have to model that for them. You have to progress past those five, 10 guys and say, it's been wonderful. I'm going to continue to be your friend, but our relationship is going to be different because I'm investing over here. And your missionary life needs to demonstrate that generational approach to mm -hmm. discipleship as well. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, that's really good. I, I like that. I know you only have experience in your context, but kind of a personal question. How long did it take you to feel like you were discipling well in a new language? Uh, how long have I been here now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I think that the discipleship part can happen as soon as you get off the plane. Okay. Even if you're in a foreign language, in a context where you need to learn a foreign language, I would say your nonverbals and how you communicate with people, people are watching you and they can tell from the moment you get off the plane, is this a job or is he here to love people? And so like in our context, how you greet the guy who's watching your car, how you greet the guy that's selling papers or is selling you cell phone credit, how you spend time with them. If you're just like, I need to get what I need and I'm on my way, I would encourage a new missionary. They're watching you the whole time. Okay. So I told you we have some new missionaries just down the road from us. We use a process of language called the Growing Participant Approach, GPA. A lot of IMB folks use that, right? So what we try and do is immediately when a person arrives, they're already starting to learn a basic evangelism method. Even if it's something that they have to memorize, we put them together with a conversant in the afternoons that will take them out into the village. And this conversant will go, I have my friend. He has a story. Would you listen to the story? And our guy, you know, our colleague is going to share that story. He can't even maintain a conversation after the story. All he knows is how to get out the story, right? But he's already discipling that believer that he's with. So who's going to give all that explanation? That's going to be the believer that's with him. It's going to explain, well, this is what the story means. And so already as a missionary, you are demonstrating to them that it's a part of the normal Christian life to share your faith. That's usually about phase two. Phase three, which is where our folks are into right now, you can start to explain the discipleship lessons, like the short-term stuff, what's prepared, you can get that. And that's usually in about, it depends, you know, what language you're learning, but these guys are four or five months into it, okay? And then once you get into phase four, that's where you get into more of the deep life sharing, and that's when you're going to get into more of those thousand decisions that we talked about and learning the culture and moving past that. So I could say, Definitely within a year, you should be hitting on those things. But your most effective discipler, for the very reason that you're asking, is always going to be a national believer. They're going to understand that context way better than you and my local pastors. I know a lot about our context and culture, but they disciple me under the table just because they understand you know, what's going on. But just as an encouragement, man, from the moment you get off the plane, you can start discipling and then you can improve in that. And then within the first year, depending on where you are, 
I think that you can certainly be sharing discipleship lessons and sharing life with mm -hmm. people. But I think it's how you set up your language as well. We do that intentionally to where we give them conversants that we know need discipleship. And so we know it's going to be mutually beneficial language. The other one's modeling Christian life and helping them with those things. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, that's good. One last question before we switch to some more kind of lightning round, quicker questions. I don't know the literacy rate in your context, but what does discipleship look like in, in a non-literate context? Because, you know, most of us coming from the West, we are fairly high literacy rate. We rely a lot on texts and people being able to read text and discuss texts and these kinds of things. So can you talk at all about what that looks like in a, maybe a, a not so literate context? Oh, sure. And that's another great question. And that goes back to your question about it being, how do you have disciples that make disciples? If your discipleship is centered around a book, well, then there's a whole lot of people in your context that aren't going to be able to make disciples. So how that looks like in our context, actually, my wife is out on the porch right now, discipling three or four ladies from the local village. Most of them cannot read. Now, the scriptures are important. Okay, so we do do an oral approach, but it's important that you have the Bible with you and that you're referring back getting accuracy from the scriptures. But how that looks like in our context is it's group discipleship. You're coming together around a passage of scripture, around a story, telling that story, getting mastery of the story, asking questions about that story, and then moving into application, okay? And then during the week, you leave with the accountability question, how are you gonna put this into practice? People will go out, they put that into practice individually, or if they're having a struggle, you know, they'll bring a friend along with them or whatever it might be. They're sharing the story or they're telling somebody a change that they've made in their life. That's where the accountability is going to take place in that group. They're going to, you know, review the lesson that they had the week before and then move on to the next. But in oral cultures, that's kind of how you have to approach it. But they have a, a great capacity for remembering stories. You just do need to have the scriptures there undergirding to make sure that we're accurate on how we are transmitting the information. Okay, that's good. I want to shift to some lightning round questions, just kind of quicker responses. Some of these are fill in the blank. So besides the Bible, in your opinion, the best book on discipleship is blank. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Can I just be honest with you? <laughs> I think the best book on discipleship, if you're a missionary, is going to be your local believer. The reason I say that, okay, is because, yeah, there's lots of good books, but they're not written for your context. So when you are a missionary, you usually come with a good understanding of the Bible, but how you disciple, when you disciple, who you disciple, what the questions are that they're asking, what's important to them, all of that information is going to be coming from a local believer. So I would say become a student of them and of their culture, and that'll get you far further than any discipleship book uh, that's been written in the U.S. I know that's not answering your question, no, I like but that's, that's, a, a, hey. that's what I've found. The yeah. most effective disciplers on my side of the ocean are really good students of culture. Yeah. How many people can one person truly disciple at one time? Well, I think the biblical answer has to be 12. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a function of time that you have and the context that you're in. In our context, which is a more old context, maybe you can do more because it is more of a group approach. Maybe you do have to meet one-on-one. -on -one. With our responsibility now that Becky and I have, I have less time in my local context, more time traveling. But I will tell you that in my personal accountability, I have five guys that I disciple and covenant to meet with and we hold each other accountable. So that for me is, is what's worked so far. 
All right, that's good. Fill in the blank here. The most difficult part of discipleship is blank. Seeing disciples make bad decisions and knowing what the consequence of that decision is, but seeing them fail and then sometimes, you know, the hurt that comes from that, that's just really hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah, almost like like a parent watching their child, right? You have to kind of give them the freedom to make decisions, but you watch and you yeah. see this decision isn't going to go well, but like you're kind of giving them the freedom to do that. And so, yeah, I, I could see that. The most rewarding aspect of discipleship is blank. Well, I think it's seeing a new disciple make a decision that is a Christ-centered decision in their life that requires sacrifice. So, for instance, one of the guys that I'm discipling, he's just recently decided to stop building his house and take that money so that he can actually marry the woman that he's been living with. Okay, so now in our culture, that makes no sense that you would do that. But that's a guy who's just said, you know, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, I need to model this. And so for me, I mean, that's just like a hallelujah, praise the Lord moment. And he's valuing Christ over what the culture says he should value. Yeah. Amen. Last question. One final word of advice that you would give to people who are engaging in cross-cultural discipleship. I would say the importance of prayer. We've talked through this whole thing. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can be like, all right, I just got to get my strategy right. I got to be a good student of culture. Got to know the Bible, all this stuff. Prayer is so essential in the discipleship process. And you have to be in the trenches with the person that you are discipling and what they're going through. You have to be fasting together with them for those decisions. And then, you know, we've talked, you got to know the scriptures. You got to know how to get into the scriptures. I think the last thing is, we have talked a lot about strategy on this podcast. The Holy Spirit, man, the Holy Spirit just bridges that gap and he will do in the life of your disciple what you can never do. You just can't replicate that. And so watching the Holy Spirit work, being dedicated to prayer and just teach the scriptures, they will not return void. Mm, amen. I think that's such a good word, you know, because even we ourselves are disciples and we depend every day on the Spirit's guidance and direction in our lives. We need to be, like as you mentioned, John 15, abiding in Christ daily. That's through his word, through his prayer, in the power of his spirit. None of this is possible apart from those things. So I appreciate you kind of rounding out in that. You're exactly right. You can have all the strategy. You can have all the best approaches, read all the best literature. But if you're not praying, if you're not clinging to the word, if you're not walking in the spirit, then the Lord is not going to bless those efforts. And so I appreciate you finishing out with that. Brian, thank you so much for your your time, for the conversation today. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.